Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Oh, thank you. So Laura and Abel are still away for another week, just if you're wondering why they're not here. But yes, Zed and I arrived back Friday, and it was, it was a joy. It was a good trip. A lot of eating, a lot of talking, great to visit with family and friends, and uh, yeah, a real blessing to, to experience the love of Jesus um, all over the world. So thanks for your prayers and your support. Um, let's see couple of announcements. Basically, things are back on here. Uh, Biblical Theology follows the service today with Bob, and Pastor Drew will be arriving Thursday. And so Friday, I haven't spoke to Peter yet, but I think Friday uh, we're going to do a little mission debrief on how the Cambodia mission went, because that team is back as well. So Pastor Drew will be here and be preaching next Sunday and look forward to what God will bring through him, and he'll, we'll see how involved he can be. So give him plenty of opportunities. So uh, more to come. So I'll send out an email once I know more. Um, I think that's it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are God, that you are the awesome, almighty creator, the one who who kills and makes alive, the one who wounds and heals, the one who binds our wounds, and and draws us near to yourself by grace. And we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the sun that's shining and uh, just all creation singing your praises, doing what it was designed to do. And I pray we would do the same, Lord, new creations through faith in Jesus, that we would worship you, that we would just bow our hearts before you and and submit ourselves to your will, to seek your face and to to honor and glorify you. And I pray that you would speak to your word today, that we would hear your voice and, and do the things that please you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, too, to, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus by receiving communion together. And I pray that that would be a sweet time that brings honor and glory to you as we remember the price paid, the atonement provided, and the eternal life supplied through Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that would be the last thing. We are having communion today, so uh, all are welcome who are born again, and we'll receive that together at the end of the service. One thing about going to the States, I, I met with a lot of people who have been with me from way back, since I was a little kid, and it, it's always a bit of reminiscing that happens when you think about what God has done and how he has led me and my family to come out here, and, and there's no I'd rather be. It's really awesome to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to draw near to him in fellowship, to serve one another, to grow in grace and the love of God and loving one another, and we're so privileged to be servants of the Most High God, and it's so good for us to remember who he is and what he has done and what he's doing and will do because he's faithful to his word and to his promise. And... Uh, Thanks to those who preached in my stead. Uh, tomorrow, I look forward to listening to those messages. Um, but our passage will pick up in Genesis, back in Genesis 33, just to bring us up to speed. Um, it's a reunion of Jacob with his brother Esau after being apart for 20 years. And Jacob had just made a covenant of peace with Laban, his uncle. They parted ways. He continued his trek towards his father's house in Beersheba, as God told him, and Jacob, he 
preempted his, his uh, arrival by sending messengers to Esau saying, I'm coming, I have flocks and herds and a family, and, and I'm your servant. And then he heard that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men, and he was afraid. He was terrified because he's like, what is he going to do? What, what is he scheming? Decades prior, Esau contented himself with killing Jacob. He was plotting to kill him, and he's like, all right, I'm just biding my time until dad kicks off, and then he's done. Like, I'm going to finish him. And uh, that's how they left. And now he's returning to him, and he's concerned for his family and his future. He had stolen his blessing, and uh, he didn't know what to expect. But when 400 men are coming, I mean, Jacob's got flocks and herds and little kids and his wives. He prayed. He sent his family over the brook Jabbok, and it says he prayed earnestly. And he said, Lord, I'm not worthy of your mercies, but I'm afraid because my brother's coming. Please deliver me. And it says, then a man met him and wrestled with him all night, touched the, the joint of his thigh and his hip dislocated, and he clung onto that man until he received a blessing from God and a new name. And he walked away from that encounter with a limp, that he would have permanently, and in his weakness discovered strength that's only found in God. And God gives strength that's more than just physical strength. I mean, we pray for strength when we feel weary, but God gives us strength to be patient. He gives us strength to love. He gives us strength to forgive, to not keep record of wrongs, to trust him and to continue on in obedience to him even when we have trepidation about what lies ahead. And that's where Jacob found himself to freely give rather than to scheme and to steal. Like God changes us. And we see that in Jacob. Genesis 33 verse one. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and there Esau was coming and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. If you remember all that time ago when we were in Genesis, uh, he had initially separated his wives and family into two groups. He's thinking, well, if Esau attacks one, maybe the other will have a chance to escape. But we see after meeting with the Lord, he has changed his plan. He basically puts him in single file right in front of everything, and he will lead the way. And he gathers them. He has the two maidservants. Uh, with their children, Leah and her children, Rachel and Joseph last. He was the youngest son at that time. And it says he crossed over before them. So Jacob, right in front, he bows seven times before Esau to show respect. And I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, many preserve themselves by humbling themselves. The bullet flies over him who stoops. So he, he really had a humble heart before his brother. Because of what happens later in the passage, I don't know that Jacob fully trusted Esau, that Esau was a changed man in any way. And a lot of what happened in the past caused him to doubt that he could have good intentions with those 400 men. But he bowed before him, not because he believed that Esau was a changed man, but because Jacob was a changed man. He knew that God had been with him all that time. He had delivered him out of his uncle Laban's house with many goods and possessions, and he would also bring him safely to his father's house in Beersheba, even though Esau came to meet him. He bowed by faith in God 
who protected him in that workplace, he would deliver him from conflict with his brother. And what Jacob did is really, it has broad application for us who fear the Lord. Because it doesn't matter if we're facing a deceitful boss or a potentially angry brother who bears resentment against us, we can humble ourselves before them knowing God is with us and God will protect us. We forgive someone who's lied to us and deceived us, not because we think they'll never do it again or because their character is different, but because God has forgiven us. That's why. It's not because we trust them. It's because we trust God. And so we obey him to forgive, to submit ourselves. And our confidence doesn't come from strength or our own wisdom, but from God. And we see this in Jesus, right? When he goes to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He faced shame and scorn and pain, but he did it joyfully because of what lay ahead. He knew what he would accomplish. And so we get that same boldness and courage. I mean, there's a lot of things that we face that have nothing to do with, I mean, they don't even compare, begin to compare with crucifixion that we dread, that we don't want that meeting. We don't want that conversation. We don't want that conflict. We try to avoid it, but instead to find that place of boldness to humble ourselves before the Lord, to forgive, to release someone who has wronged us. And that confidence comes from him. Verse four, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, near, and they bowed down. So Jacob, he's bowing seven times. He's showing this respect. And then Esau is like throwing off all convention. He just runs to him and grabs him. It's like he is being reunited with his best mate. They're both crying. It's really emotional. It's clear that any animosity that was between them was gone, forgotten. They didn't even bring up the things that had happened in the past. And say, I remember what you did. It it was done. It's like the Lord had been working in Jacob. He'd been working in Esau too. This, This happy reunion, really it's miraculous because time does not heal all wounds. There's people who are angry and embittered over something that happened maybe decades ago and won't even speak of or to the person who has wronged them. But God forbid we would hold a grudge when Jesus has taken the initiative to be reconciled with us. When we were sinners deserving of death, he started that process of redemption and reconciliation that we could know God, that we could draw near to him and be adopted into his family as sons and daughters of the kingdom. It's awesome. So Esau wipes the tears from his eyes and he's like, who are these people? He says, well, they are the children whom God has graciously given, graciously given your servant. Quite different than the answer I would give. I'd say, oh, my wife and kids, right? He's like, the children God has graciously given your servant. He was so forthright in his humility before God and realizing that all he had was by God's grace, that it wasn't from his hard work. It wasn't because he was clever about, uh, you know, stripping the bark off the rods and putting them before the stronger herds or anything. It was just God. God had done it and it was all by grace. And I like that he does this before someone who could be called a heathen. 
Because again, he didn't believe that Esau necessarily feared God or honored God at all. And I've noticed a phenomenon, and maybe you have too, um, that people can adapt their language depending on who they're around. When I worked for a company that hosted an annual Christmas party, it's a time to dress up and the wives and girlfriends would all, it was just a real uh, fancy affair. And it was always interesting to me how the fellows would clean up pretty well, not only in their clothing, but in their speech. You didn't hear the crass jokes or the, the foul language. It was like everything was G-rated for the night. It was just bizarre how that happens, right? Now, while it's polite to be considerate about others, you know, we can do the same thing with God. We can restrain ourselves from the mention of Jesus because the people may not have a positive opinion of Jesus or they don't fear God. And we could be more free to speak about Jesus than more free to speak about Jesus around Christians than people we know who are not Christians. Let's be those who speak of Jesus freely because he loves us and he is our life. That we say his name because of what he has done and who he is for us. It is hard around family who don't know him, who have made their position very clear but we love Jesus because he loves us. And so let's speak of him. Let's be bold like Jacob was. And then he refers to his family generally as all children. He says, these are all children. And I think that was perhaps to elicit some compassion to show they were no threat at all, that they were really servants of Esau as well, that he didn't need to worry about them um, having animosity towards him. And then in order, they come before him and they bow. They give him reverence and respect. But what a great perspective Jacob has to see all that he had as a gracious gift from God. And we'll see that the Old Testament is steeped in the same grace as the new because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, he is gracious. He was gracious back in Abraham's time and Noah's time. He was gracious to deliver Lot we see his grace everywhere, and here he gives more than Jacob could even have asked for. It would have been easy for Jacob to ascribe some credit to himself. Like, I worked 14 years for Rachel. I worked six years for all these flocks. 20 years I, I slaved in my Uncle Laban's house for what you see here. But that's not his, his perspective at all. It's all about what God graciously gave him, and he received it as from the Lord, and thus he was free to share it with his brother. When we believe we are entitled to respect from men, that we are worthy of honor, or our possessions, our accomplishments are our just due, that is a place where pride grows unchecked. We have to be very aware of that, that knowing that everything we have and are has a gift from God it helps us maintain that humble posture between God and men. Genesis 33, verse eight. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please, Take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. 
If you remember, before they met, Jacob had sent drove after drove of animals to his brother with, uh, by the hand of servants and, the, and saying, who are, who are you? Oh, these are gifts from your servant Jacob, again and again. These pleasant surprises just to maybe take the edge and the animosity if Esau was still angry with him. And uh, he, he doesn't hide his intent at all. He says, this was to find favor in your sight. Jacob presses him to receive the gift. A gift received by a superior, it was a token of friendship. By accepting the gift, he's saying, I accept you. And that was very common in that culture. So to be, for your gift to be refused when a, a subordinate is giving a gift to a ruler, well, then they are almost rejecting you. And so it, it mattered a lot to Jacob that he would receive that gift because in doing so, he was saying, I'm pleased with you that token of friendship. Notice in verse 11 how he refers to his gift as my blessing. Now this is the word that, remember he had stolen the blessing back in the day where he had made himself hairy with some goat skins and his mother had prepared some food and they went into Isaac and he pretended to be Esau so that he could receive the blessing from his father. But now he says, take my blessing. Like I took it from you before, but now I want you to have it. I want you to be blessed as I have been blessed. And so we see a change in Jacob. Instead of scheming and stealing, he's now giving his blessing to his brother. And it's such a great example for us too. He's rejoicing to give because of what God had given him. And when you think freely we have received, we ought to freely give. I like where he says, dealt graciously. When, when you deal cards to, in a game, what keeps the game fair is not knowing what cards have been dealt, right? They need to be at random. If you know where the cards are in the deck, then it's, it's a way to cheat. Or if you have a stacked deck, which means that you have, you have introduced extra cards to give you a benefit or to tilt the odds in your favor. Now we need to realize that God's dealings with us uh, are not like a card dealer who just gives things at random. Nothing God does is by blind chance. He always deals graciously and mercifully with us, full stop. Even when you think that life has dealt you a bad hand, even if you're having a tough day, God remains gracious. Even if you feel awful or you're weary, God is gracious. He deals graciously with us. That's the only way he deals with us, graciously. He extends favor to us. And we see that culminating in the gospel, that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He demonstrated his love for us, that by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And we receive that and we walk in it. When mankind became so sinful, God repented of creating them, Genesis 6, 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah sinned like Adam did. He was not a perfect man, but he found grace in God's eyes. God was gracious to him and made a way of salvation for him and all the animals and his family. Anyone who would come, there was a place for them. God dealt graciously with them. God showed mercy to Lot. He brought a warning that Sodom would be overthrown. He provided a way of escape for anyone that would listen before Sodom was destroyed. And Jacob realized God had dealt graciously with him despite his deceit, despite his dishonesty, and that 
God had been faithful. Such a good example to us in our relationship with God and people. Because hasn't God been gracious to you? Have your eyes been opened to see how gracious God is in, in all the workings of your life? We deserve death for our sin, but God has sent a savior in Jesus. And even in, so it's one thing to look at the good situations. Like, well, okay, it's, it's fine for Jacob to say, God's been gracious to me because he was super rich or he had a lot of goods. But what about when things are hard and they stay hard, when they're difficult and we don't have an answer? Well, even in situations that are bad or unpleasant, God is gracious. Things could be worse, but he is faithful to his promise. And he has redemptive purposes even when we suffer. And it's faith in God that helps us to receive that and walk in it. Even when you're experiencing pain and discomfort. And my flight back from the U.S., I think it was a good example of this. If you're like me, I prefer an aisle seat. I like the freedom to be able to go to the toilet or to stand up here or there. And uh, I was pleased to discover I did have an aisle seat. But the happy feelings dissipated quickly because it turned out Zed was by the window and there was this young man in between us and his mother was desperate to sit by him. And so she, I come up to my seat and she's sitting in my seat. It's like, oh, please, will you switch seats with me? I just need to be by my son. I'm like, hmm. Thinking about how my next 15 hours are going to be affected by this. Hmm. So she was in the, the row right in front, in between two sisters. And then the sisters go, oh, yeah, well, if you're moving here, I want to sit by her. So I end up being crammed into the corner between these two sisters and the, the window. And it was like a surreal moment when I'm kind of trying to sleep and it was such a claustrophobic space with this lady thinking that I'm a pillow. And I was like, what has happened? This, this seemed like it was going to be just beautiful flight. But now I am trapped and I'm getting laid on over here. It's like, <laughs> and I, I seriously was like, what is this? What is this? It was not fun, but I can say God dealt graciously and mercifully with us because we reached our destination, safe and sound, right? We can forget about that. I had the opportunity to give away a seat that I wanted to bless someone else, and any heavenly reward could only be of grace because I wasn't happy to do it. I felt like my hand was kind of forced because, like, well, you're in my seat asking for it. But the fact is, like, I was also convicted because it's like Jesus for the joy that went before him went to the cross and here I am feeling a bit perturbed that my seat was taken or I can't sit where I wanted to. It's like I, I should have joy in that place, in that discomfort, even for just 15 hours. I didn't rejoice at the prospect of being trapped, but Jesus rejoiced to die for my sins. Humbling, humbling thought. Now, how awesome is the grace of God he gives us through Christ? How mercifully and graciously he has dealt with us. He's chosen to deal graciously with us. And having received eternal life through the gospel, the gospel, it directs us in how to live today. Because he's forgiven us, we forgive. Because he's loved us, we love. 
even when we suffer, we can rejoice to do it. Remember when the disciples were beaten and threatened. Like if you keep preaching Jesus, worse is going to happen to you. And it said they, were, they rejoiced that they were worthy to, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Beaten for the sake of Jesus who died for them. And when we look at life through the gospel lens, we see how gracious God's been to us and we see how graceless we are. And we see an example of how we ought to extend grace to others. You know, we can tell how much someone appreciates a gift, whether they use it or not. There's a lot of gifts that we've received that we didn't ask for, that we have returned or exchanged or because we didn't ask for it. We didn't really want it. You know, many of God's gifts we never asked for. And if we could, we would return it. But God is merciful. He's wise and gracious. He's dealt graciously with us, even those things that we don't want. And he's able to redeem them and use them for his glory. And so let's live every day like we appreciate the gospel, that our lives would be a thank you to God for what Jesus is doing for us, interceding on our behalf. That he hears us, that he cares. Genesis 33, 12. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Seems soon after the reunion, Esau is ready to make tracks and head home to his land in Seir. He was accompanied by 400 men, but they all had families, I'm sure, many of them. And he wanted to get back to his uh, lands and his people and his home. And he offered to lead the way, but Jacob didn't want Esau setting the pace. These brothers are like chalk and cheese. Like Esau is like, let's go. And Jacob's like, whoa, whoa, we need to go slow. We've got all these animals and children. He's, he's very conscious of the little ones that he had with him. Instead of driving them hard, he's like, I will lead on gently or softly at a pace they could endure. And a shepherd would never drive the sheep, like hitting them in the back, like scaring them to move forward. They would always lead by their presence and their voice up front. So as they walked, they would set the pace for the sheep who would follow behind. And really a picture of how Jesus leads us. One thing we observe about Jesus is he was never in a hurry and he was never late. Now there were many times where people thought Jesus was late, that he should have been somewhere where he wasn't. Like you should go up to the feast, Jesus. If you want people to know about you, you should be there. And he showed up late on purpose. Remember, uh, Lazarus was very sick. Mary and Martha, Jesus, get over here quick because he's, he's dying. The, the one you love is sick. And Jesus tarried days in that place where he was knowing that he would die, knowing that he would raise him from the dead and be glorified through that. It was so wise for Jacob to take responsibility to lead his own flock rather than feeling pressured to go at Esau's pace. And really a lot of good applications for us here because on children, as children of God, he is supposed to dictate the pace of our lives, the direction of our lives, 
whether it's a wor work decision or a career or a relationship with others, and a lot of people can feel, let's say, pressured to be married when God's given them this gift of singleness. Others have been drawn into a career or business or hobby where it's easy to neglect time with God and family. The world is putting us into this mold of human wisdom that opposes godly priorities like Christian fellowship, submitting to one another in love. The world's not teaching us this, to submit to one another in love, to forgive. That's not even on the radar of the wisdom of this world. Faith and obedience to God. And our own flesh, it's prone to excesses of all kinds. Our flesh wants to set the pace for how we live our lives, what we do, rather than being led by the Holy Spirit and God's word. Our fleshly response is to drive, to force, to manipulate, to coerce, to get other people to do what we think they should do. That's, that's man's way. But God's way is to lead, and he leads softly, gently. It's so good for us to be circumspect, as Jacob was, to take seriously his God-given responsibility to lead his family, not exchanging his duty to please Esau. Because, hey, he's just found favor in Esau's sight, and it would be really easy to say, well, yeah, I want to please him. I want to do whatever he says. But no, he was going to hold fast to God's leading in his life. And then he said, hey, let me leave people with you. And he's like, well, what's the point? God's been with me all this time. He's going to bring me to Beersheba according to the word of the Lord. And so Esau says, may I leave some men with you? And he says, may I please politely decline? Verse 16. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a, the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. That day Esau went home. They greeted, he received the gift, and he headed on home. All right, that's done. But Jacob, he doesn't go southeast to Seir, he goes west to Succoth, which wasn't that far away. He pitched his tent and he built paddocks for his livestock. And I don't think this is an indication of ungodly character any more than telling someone uh, you'll call or message them and forget. Jacob didn't say when he was going to go to Seir and plans can change. And it's easy to read into why Jacob did what he did, but the Bible doesn't say. So I think it's wise to just refrain from conjecture and to make it a blight upon his character. Um, the, the previous night, you remember what happened? He was just crippled by a touch of God. And if we avoid stairs because our knees or hips hurt, I, going all that way to stair, that's not what you want to do right away. And so it makes perfect sense to me why he would settle down somewhere nearby to recover and, and realize, okay, this is, this is not getting better. This is going to just be part of my life now. And McGee, he pointed in his commentary, Jacob was just learning to walk with his spiritual legs. You guys have heard about sea legs? When you've been on a ship for a little while and you stand on the shore and everything's moving? 
like you didn't realize that the ship was moving that much. When we come to Christ and we start walking with him in faith, he gives us time to totter around like a, like a baby giraffe that falls from the womb and bounces off the ground. It's a little, little shaky for a while. And when we're born again, there's that, there's that I guess, that passage of time where we're growing, we're developing. We, we think we should be running, but really, we, we are babes in Christ and always children of God. So from Succoth, he goes to the city of Shechem in the, city of, or in, the, in the land of Canaan. That was the land that God promised to give Abraham and his descendants. Jacob was a man. He was willing to be led by the Lord. Go at God's pace. Not a rush to make a beeline to his father's house in Beersheba just to get it over with. I know that's kind of, again... I'm confronted with my own rushing mentality. Like, all right, we've got things to do. Bang, bang. Let's just go and do them. But he just, he's hanging out and sucketh for a while. Then he goes to Shechem. He buys a little plot of land. He sets up his tent. I mean, he is just taking his time. I found when God leads us through this life, there's a lot of unexpected twists and turns. It's not just a linear straight path upon, like, on the course that we think is best or most advantageous or beneficial. We can imagine we know which way is best and then we reach a dead end and we're like, well, where do we go from here? This happened to me and I reflected upon it when I was back in my hometown. I was a union mechanical insulator in 2002 and everyone that I talked to, all my union brothers are like, you know what, you, you've got I think you've got what it takes to be the next apprenticeship teacher. And the apprenticeship teacher was going to be moving on. And, they, and so I talked to the union, I talked to the professor, and they said, yeah, you can take this course. That's all you need to do. You already have a qualification, so take this course and you're in. Cool. Sounds like a great career move. And so I just tried to take this course, and it was impossible. But this was before the internet. I'm like making a phone call. I'd like to enroll in this course. Oh, that course doesn't exist. Well, I'm been told this course does exist. And then it was just like months of this getting the runaround from people, hitting my head against a wall and saying, I cannot just, it's, pr- it's pretty easy to take a course, but for some reason, I cannot do this. And I remember uh, my house was located in the foothills and there was this, this, this mountain behind us. And I'm like, I had just set my sights on the top of the mountain. That, that was my where I wanted to ascend. It's like, I'm down here now, 10 years, maybe, maybe towards the top, and someday I'll be up there and have that nice view of our beautiful valley. That's where I want to live someday. I mean, that's where I, that's as far as I could see, a hill right behind me. But as I was there and I was praying, I just remember looking up there and I'm like, why is it so hard, God? Why is it so hard to take a course when it seems like the right thing to do and everyone's telling me it's the right course of my life and God's like, well, I haven't called you to teach insulators. I've called you to teach my children. And this was a shock to me. This was not in my plan. This was not my idea. And that's how I knew. I've been praying to God and now this thought comes in my mind that not my idea. And then prayed about it, just continued serving in the church I was. But I dropped the whole apprenticeship idea. I didn't even go down that path anymore. And three years later, I was invited to come on staff at the church. And that's what started me in pastoral ministry. And some imagined that I would go from being a youth pastor to being an associate pastor and 
work at another church or, but God led on softly all the way to Australia. That was not in the plan. That, that totally unexpected. But I don't believe my story is unique at all. I think if we were to go around this room, I think we would all hear stories of how God led us softly in coming to Jesus, in our studies, in our employment, in marriage, through times of grief, finding a church, even finding a parking spot when we prayed for it. If we would take some time to discuss it, everyone would have a story of how God has led them gently and softly where they are today, and that he's worthy to be followed from here on out. And for every prayer that God has answered, he's done a thousand or more gracious and merciful things that we never thought to ask for without us asking because he's gracious and he's merciful. So God brought Jacob safely from Paddan Aram to Shechem and Canaan. He bought this parcel of land for a hundred shekels of silver as Abraham, his grandfather, had bought the cave Machpelah to be a family crypt. So Jacob bought this parcel of land to dwell in the land of Canaan. And he built an altar there, and he called it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So here he is embracing his new name, his new identity, because he prevailed with God, and now he's worshiping God. This altar was built not as a monument, not as a memorial. It was a place of sacrifice. He had promised that when God brought him into the land safely and he had returned him, that he would give a tenth, he would give a tithe of his goods to the Lord. And so he sacrificed on this altar. And I think sacrifice is something that can be missed um, in our age of grace because Jesus has paid the price, right? He has provided the atonement for our sins. And that personal, sacrificial, costly element can be lost to us because you're like, well, Jesus has paid it all. So, do we need to sacrifice anymore? There's no sacrifice that can be given, but yes, we are called to a sacrifice, not the same kind of sacrifice. This sacrifice was not for atonement. The law had not been given yet. Uh, there was no priest who was sanctified, but this was a free will offering. This was an offering to God of what cost Jacob something. Like Abraham and Isaac, Jacob worshiped God who revealed him himself to him and blessed him. And we're, we worship not to be blessed, but because we are blessed. God has blessed us and thus we worship. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews 13 verse 8. As we prepare to receive communion in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice and to proclaim his death, I think this is such a good passage that speaks of the grace of God that's appeared to us through the gospel speaking of an altar and an acceptable sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. 
Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So we have come to Jesus by faith in him through the gospel. It's easy for us to stray from the simplicity of faith and thinking that it's all about what you eat or don't eat. That's what the Jews were caught up with. But he's saying keeping a kosher diet didn't save them. Know that Jesus came and he suffered outside the camp. So let's go out to him. Let's go to him. We can't add to his work. And he says, we have an altar that even the high priests who offer sacrifices cannot offer anything. They can't eat the food that's been sacrificed on it because they would eat of the sacrifice because they had no faith in Jesus. So it's by faith in Jesus, we have an altar. We can approach and make ourselves, we can pro provide ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. And then we see here, having been washed and sanctified by Christ's blood, we bear our cross, we go to him, even if it means outside our homeland, our family, the career path that we had for ourselves, what was comfortable. And verse 15 and 16, really the key directives by Jesus, we continually offer the sacrifice of praise and we give thanks to him. Jesus gave his life for our salvation and we give ourselves wholly to him and to his service, not necessarily as a pastor or a missionary, but to do good and to share. It's a sacrifice to thank God when you're hurting. It's a sacrifice to give your time and help others. With these sacrifices, God is well pleased. And when he receives them, guess what? It's a token of friendship for us. He receives us by his grace. So through faith in Jesus, God is pleased with us. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. So I'd like to invite the team to come up uh, for a song of worship. And let's just come before him with a a heart full of gratitude for what he has done through giving us his own son. And we will, uh, while they are singing, while we are singing together, I invite Christians to come forward to receive of the bread and of the cup, and we, I'll just lead in a prayer uh, at the end of that song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for dealing graciously with us. Thank you that you have been merciful to us that you will not leave or forsake us, but you lead us in the right way, even when it's the way that we would not have chosen for ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that you remain good and there is rest in you and that you have, you have an altar that we can approach you to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and sanctified because of the blood of Jesus, that we who were dead in sins, we've now been made alive. You've made us whole through your spirit. And we thank you for the power of the gospel to transform us and change us. Even as we see Jacob, a changed man, Lord, thank you that you help us to change in a good way, in a godly way. Lord, I pray we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would remember the price paid, and that in faith 
in you, we would live in light of the gospel by loving others, forgiving others, choosing you rather than sin, choosing to honor and glorify you, to say your name wherever we go because you loved us with an everlasting love and we love you back. May our lives, Lord, be a great thank you for how good you have been, how good you are, and will ever be. In Jesus' name, amen.